Genesis of Millennium Running is really the event you alluded to, the Millennium Mile. Um, the Millennium Mile is an event that that I created with my best friend from high school, Matt Downen,、um, and his older brother, Andy Downen. Now, the three of us were.、Uh, this is in 1999, so going going to the wayback machine,、um, and, and this gets us to the turn of the millennium, hence Millennium Mile. Um, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, the three of us were at a bar in downtown Manchester, New Hampshire, talking about because you know that's what you do when you're a college kid. You come home, you go to the bar, you meet all your buddies again, right? Hey there, podcast listener! If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half Walk Double Podcast. Coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in rainy Stratford, New Hampshire, U.S. of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you follow the show, well, thank you and welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as an exercise physiologist, coach, race director, and athlete, told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends. Colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member. It's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Millennium Running's John Mortimer is my guest this week. When you think of road racing in New Hampshire, you think Millennium Running. Now that's not surprising, considering they have more than 29 signature events, all of which are successful and all of which are a ton of fun. In addition to the events, they also have a brick-and-mortar running store and a loyal and robust running club. But it's arguable that their philanthropy is perhaps their greatest contribution to the sport of running here in New Hampshire, as they recently surpassed the one million dollar charitable giving. Well, here he is, John Mortimer. John, welcome, welcome to the show. Oh, Chris, it is an honor to be here, my man. Well, it's it it it's an honor for me to have the opportunity to talk to you.、Um, you and I、uh, don't get a chance to cross paths、uh, very often. In fact, I'm not sure that we've seen each other in person since pre-pandemic. Yeah, I think had a, enjoyed a nice beverage one time,、uh, getting ready for the race season. Right, getting、uh, organizing all the events that you've been a part of, and and、uh, we、yeah. are happy to work together on those things. Yeah, for sure. So it's it it's a、uh, it's a great opportunity for me anyway to to get a chance to sit down and, and chat with you a little bit.、Um, John, let's let's open up this way.、Um, on New Year's Day, your wife and two boys competed <laughs> in the Millennium Mile, with all three of them. Going under six minutes for a finish time. <laughs> They did,、uh, John. John, what was that like for you?、Uh, you know, I I just try to keep up. I think it is at this point in my life. You know, being in my mid forties,、um, I have what I said、uh, hashtag fast fast family. So、uh, I think my、uh, my two boys are are, are two great kids,、um, very athletic kids with other sports, and、um, you know, my running background and my wife's running background. We like to think they have some pretty good genes for the sport if they love it, and、um, but it was it was really fun to see my two boys and my wife enjoying the sport that、um, we do as a business and 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 we do as a passion. So to see them run our flagship event, which is the Millennium Mile, an event that we started in 1999,、uh, 
um, 24 years later, having my kids do it and, and doing it pretty good um, was, was a lot of fun for me personally. Um, I think it was less fun for my wife, Jennifer, because my wife, Jennifer, who, who I know, you, you know, uh, Jennifer Mortimer, formerly Jennifer Kramer, was an Olympic trials competitor in the 5K and school record holder at Boston College. Um, she's won the race many years ago. Uh, she's a fast mom. And for the first time, our 13 year old beat mom. So I'm not, so maybe, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but he's a, he's a good kid. And, and uh, it was a family showdown, so to speak. So, <laughs> uh, I, I guess it, I guess it was. And, and I suspect, uh, with your youngest being 11 and your oldest being 13, um, they, 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 those times for them likely will continue to fall as they, as they begin, yeah. as they continue to mature and get a little faster. Well, well, I, I mean, I know, and, and you know, this to be true, John, that, um, uh, uh, as race directors, uh, as event management, as event management managers, it, it, I mean, these really are family businesses. Um, I mean, they, they almost, they almost have to be right. Your, your, yeah, your sure. family has to be involved and, and bought into, to what you're doing. Um, John, for, for the listener who doesn't know John Mortimer, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, um, and again, the pleasure is all mine to be here and talk to you about this stuff. Some fun stuff we'll talk about, uh, running and walking, um, having some fun in, in, in passion with the sport. But, um, again, my name is John Mortimer and I'm a, I'm a New Hampshire native. So I grew up here, um, just about all my life. Uh, born down in Pennsylvania and lived in first very, very brief time in Florida. But, you know, since the age of four, I've been a New Hampshire, right? For, for a long, long time. Um, minus my years as a, as a collegiate athlete and a professional athlete. Um, I've, I've lived in, in my, this great state of New Hampshire for a long time. And it's the place that I came back to, to raise a family. Um, and now we own a business called Millennium Running, which is a segue from, um, the millennia miles. So it's a, it's a business that we own and operate here in Bedford, New Hampshire. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm the proud dad of two boys and a fast wife and uh, a small family business that we have a lot of fun doing and, and, uh, and we'll get into many of that stuff, but, uh, but I used to be a runner myself. So I say I used to, I jog now. I'm not a runner. I'm a jogger because <laughs> I'm getting older <laughs> and slower. Um, but, but enjoy the feeling of getting out there and, getting the sweat in and, and, uh, you know, that runner's high you get when you get out there and exercise. Cause no one ever regretted taking that first step. Right. Yeah. True. Yeah. You know, I, I, <laughs> I always used to bristle when someone would refer to me as a jogger for me, <laughs> right. For me, I think the difference between runners and joggers is this, that, um, joggers will go running only when the weather is perfect. Runners run in any weather. So I, I think it has less one. to do with, with, with how fast or how slow you are. I think it has more to do with how committed you are to the sport. And if you're willing, yes. you know, uh, you know, we're, we're having this conversation that just the, just the, the opening of the, of the winter, but uh, winters here in New Hampshire can get cold and dark and sometimes, and sometimes rainy or icy or snowy <laughs> for, for folks that are out there running. You know, in, in those types of conditions, no matter how fast or how slow you are, you're a runner, not a jogger. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Well, and, and you know, we've done surveys and, and, and Instagram and Facebook comments that is, or uh, posts that incited comments. And at the end of January, we say, how's the new year's resolution of running more going? And people say, you know, I've, 
I've run four miles and one of them is our millennium mile and next is our snowflake shuffle. And they didn't run in between those. Um, so, you know, they're, they're your joggers maybe, or your, or your weekend warriors, but, uh, you know, the fair weather runner, uh, is, is something that, you know, too many people are, and we hope to inspire them to, to, to jog a little bit more sometimes. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, so you and I had the opportunity to meet a few years back when my event management company, Acidotic Racing, hired your company, Millennium Running, to time several of our events. Um, you know, as and not as, just any, not, not just any events, Chris, I mean, some of these events were the national championships. <laughs> so they're not just some little 5k. These are national championships that go up mountains. That's, that's fair. Um, you of course are referencing the, um, uh, the loon mountain race, an event that, uh, uh, we previously managed, uh, but no longer, uh, manage. Yes. Uh, you folks were, uh, were there to time that event. Um, you know, as you know, we, you know, you, you, you talk about millennium running as sort of being a, you know, a, a relatively small business here in New Hampshire. Um, millennium running is anything but small with respect to, um, uh, to your impact and, and your reach, you know, for us, acidotic racing, um, you know, we're, we're very much a niche, uh, business only hosting now a handful of events every year. Uh, and they're, they're off-road, uh, events. So, uh, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, 50 to 150 people, right? Small events and for those small events. Um, th those are fairly, those are easy for us to hand time. You know, I, I have the hand timing equipment and we can do that. Um, but anytime we're expecting more than 200 participants, we have to we have to subcontract that out. We have to hire the professionals. We have to hire the folks from Millennium Running to come in come in and time those events because there's no way that I that, that we were going to attempt to time at that point the Loon Mountain Race, in which we anticipate your point it was a national championship. But more than that, um, you know we were expecting close to a thousand finishers, and for for a mountain race, I mean that's you know, next to Pikes Peak and Mount Washington, there, you know, there really aren't any bigger mountain races in the United States. So, so that, that's a big reason why we brought, you know, you and, and, and your company in to time the event. Well, A, you know, we, we knew that you guys were going to, to do an absolutely amazing professional job and you did. Well, you you know, but it was more than it was more than we were going to be able to handle. By ourselves, let's face well, it. well, you know, when you start having a thousand people running up a hill, going to the summit of a mountain, um, your concern shouldn't be if they have a as an event director as as you are. Your concern maybe shouldn't be do they get a time. It should be are they healthy? Do they need medical treatment? Did they get lost? There's some other more critical things on your plate, and so to uh, offload some of the more technical stuff that is. Uh, uh, it's probably a good idea to, to concentrate on, on the health and wellness of the event and the spectators. So, yeah. uh, or the runners rather and spectators for that matter. Well, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that's, there's any question about that. And, uh, um, the size of our events now, uh, are such that it, you know, it's, it, it, it's easy enough for us to hand time them. But I, I mean, I, I have nothing but very positive things to say about, about your, uh, about your, your timing. Well, and uh, I, I would, I would, I would strongly recommend uh, you guys for, for any event that's looking to subcontract out their professional timing. In my opinion, well, you guys are the best. Well, we appreciate that. I know um, it's funny talking about the acidotic events that, that we've been a part of and lucky to be a part of. Um, 
uh, I'm the older, the oldest guy that works for us. And, and we have a bunch of young guys that love the outdoors. And one of the things that makes acidotic racing unique and, and amazing is that acidotic always finds venues that are like, you're just happy to be alive there. Um, you look around and you say, this is an amazing, like this doesn't get much better. Um, having our timers uh, and our team, our employees going to the summit of a mountain, looking around. Now we've, it's been lucky. It's only been good weather. I think there's good karma there, perhaps um, some Tibetan charm coming our way on this stuff. But um, there's a, a lot of uh, great opportunity to sit on the top of the summit and, and see people achieving their goals. And, and, and we've never really had a hard time getting our, our team to, to opt in to, to work that day because there's nothing better than being the top of Loon or Waterville or Cranmore and, and um, seeing what, what, what God has created in, in, in the great state of New Hampshire for sure. Yeah. And that's, and that, that's absolutely the feedback that I, that I have received from your, from your crew as well. Um, John, as, as, a, as, a, as running specific uh, race directors, we're, we're all basically looking to tap into the same or similar participant pool. Right. I mean, there's only there's only so many runners uh, in, in New Hampshire or, or throughout the region, I should say. And as you know, the event calendar here in New Hampshire is really quite busy. Now, that's a great thing for participants, because on any given weekend year round, um, uh, there's a lot of events to choose from, whether they're local events you know, in your town or more regional events. But um, but that can also be a challenge for event directors uh, with with a really busy uh, event schedule. John, how does Millennium Running differentiate itself uh, from events from all the other events that are out there? You know, those those are good questions, and you know, we are lucky to live in New England with with a, just an amazing plethora of of running and racing opportunities. I mean, it, you know, Chris, when you think about this, you have the city of Boston and the Boston Marathon, obviously that's the big daddy of them all in terms of it's the most historic, you know, famous race in the world, perhaps, arguably. And, and to me, I think it probably is. Um, you have mountain races like Loon and Cranmore. You have, um, you can run along the seacoast like the Falmouth Road Race. And, um, you know, but you have six New England states. You can be in Providence or you can be in Burlington, Vermont in a matter of hours or, or Portland, Oregon. Um, and you don't have to go very far to find an awesome opportunity that is just, you know, you look around, you say, this is a great place to run. Um, so we're, we are lucky in that. We're also kind of lucky that there's a population density to support the number of events that are out there. Um, we like to say that, you know, you alluded to our millennium mile, people aren't driving very far to get to a one mile road race. <laughs> you know, you're not, you're not going to fly across the country for a one mile road race. Uh, however, if it's a marathon, you might do that. Um, our, our Manchester city marathon that we produce in Manchester, New Hampshire had, um, 48 different States and provinces represented as from its participant pool. So in some ways people were flying in from all over, um, not the case on a new year's day, one mile race. It's a, it's a radius of, you know, maybe 30, 40 miles, um, to get there. But, uh, you know, in reality, when you look back over the course of time, and I've been doing this for 11 years in my 12th year doing it actually, um, when I look at the average age of a participant, it was 43 and a half 10 years ago. It's now 43 and a half 10 years later. So what's interesting about our pool of athletes, pool of participants, is they're the same average age. They're just moving through the spectrum of events. And one of the keys to that, I think, in my in what we've done is we've created events that has um, 
some that have a very low barrier to entry, you know, be it a one mile downhill run, just the opposite of loon. You, you alluded to the national championship in loon. Uh, that's a, that's hard. You're running, you know, six, seven miles or Mount Washington road race, 7.7 miles uphill. Holy smokes, climbing 4,000 feet. That's not for the faint of heart, so to speak. You know, I alluded to the Boston Marathon. You're in 26.2 miles from Hopkinton to Boston. You got to train for that. Um, our Millennium Mile on New Year's Day, you could wake up that morning after a hangover and say, you know what? Today's my day to start running or walking. And it's a one-mile downhill race. What's your excuse, right? So we've created a number of events that have a very low athletically low bar to enter. And I think that's part of the key for, for two things. Um, one, and again, we can get into some other things. We have a store here, uh, a running store, like much like a fleet feet would be if you're nationwide, right? Um, running specialty or marathon sports. If you're at the finish line at Boston, we have people that come in our millennium running store. And the first thing they say is, well, I'm here to get running shoes, but oh, wait, wait, I'm not a runner. Like it's almost intimidating to some to be a runner. It's almost intimidating to some to say, Hey, I'm going to run a, mar I can't run a marathon. I can't run a, it's self-defeating on some level. They don't, um, as you said, they're not, maybe not as into it or, or committed to the sport, but, um, there's a huge population of people that just need to start moving more. And, and you know, this as a, as a, as a fitness guru, as you are, you know, just getting stronger becoming more cardiovascularly fit, physically fit, mentally fit, emotionally fit, all those things. Fitness is, is collective, but, you know, doing a one mile downhill race to walk and start on the pathway of, of good fitness, that's part of it, of getting this population of sedentary people moving again. The second thing we did on that was other than making them have a low athletic bar to entry is making some of them sound fun. Um, there's a t-shirt that we we've sold and, and it was a, as a, as a phrase going back to my high school days is we had shirts that said, my sport is your sports punishment. <laughs> and, and, and when I say that it's growing, true. growing, growing up, uh, you know, if you played football or baseball or basketball and, and you screwed up on the field or on the court, coach blows the whistle, take a lap, do, you know, you're doing suicide sprints or whatever they're called. Um, maybe not the best name to call them, but um, they're, you know, you're, you're now running as punishment. And I think uh, too often that impacts people's uh, view of the sport as a negative thing, as a punishment, where in reality, it's, it's, it's anything but that. And, and you just have to get over the hump of then um, making it fun, making it feel like you want to do it more because you get those, you know, internal feelings of, of accomplishment when you're done. Um, but the, the second the second aspect is making some of these events have an enjoyable side to it. So entertainment value, um, you know, uh, just other things along the way that make it fun. Some of it is the post-race beer, to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's like, hey, celebrate your accomplishment with a post-race beer, things like that. So some of our events have a, have a, um, a party, a post-race party perspective where you can come, you know, hang out with your, with your friends and, and, and family that you did the event with and enjoy the day. Um, so, you know, our shamrock shuffle is only a two mile race with a beer at the end at a bar. Um, sounds easy to me. People say, wait, you only have to go two miles and you get a free beer. This is, I'll, I'll sign me up on that one. Um, so it's right. So it, it, it's likely the party lasts longer <laughs> than the actual race <laughs> all the time. 
<laughs> all the time. So, um, and then the third aspect of some of those shorter events, right? It, it appeals to a family and you alluded to my family running the millennium mile. Um, you know, my, my 11 year old, if it were more than a mile or two miles, he would say, I'm not doing that. You know, little kids running very far distances isn't quite in, you know, they should be playing soccer and basketball and baseball and, you know, gymnastics, all sorts of other sports. Um, they, they, they can run long as they get older and, and more physically mature. Um, but these, these shorter distance events, like a one mile, two mile, 3K, even 5K, allow for family participation. And when you see when you see families participating in a themed event, you know one of the fun ones we do is is a trick or trot three k. So, like a turkey trot, but trick or trot Halloween themed. People dressed up as Spider Man and and whatnot is is uh, and running with their family, the superheroes running together. That's part of the appeal of introducing the sport to more people. Families low bar to entry for physicality, um, and and that's a big part of what's keeping 43 and a half being the same average age because you're introducing more families to it as they, as they, as they progress from being a college kid to a young adult professional, maybe having a family and then, and then staying part of the sport. Um, you know, but, but then at the same time, you know, one of our most competitive age groups we have right now is our 80 to 84. These guys are amazing. <laughs> They're still doing it. And maybe because they started when they were in their forties. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that's a it's a I think that's a really interesting perspective on uh, how to grow uh, an event management company in general, but a, a running uh, specific event management company. And that is at least what I'm hearing from you is that um, your 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 business model wants to make sure that you are taking care of the the back third of the field just as much or maybe even more than taking care of and catering to the, the the front third of the field in terms of in terms of finishes because there are there are a lot of event management companies um, who really focus on the elite athletes and it's all about the you know the prize money and 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 attracting the big names to the event as in order to facilitate the, the growth of their events figuring that um, you know, so long as, so long as we keep the elite athletes happy, the folks in that finish in the back of the pack, they're, they're going to come anyway. Um, but it sounds to me, John, like, like, like you're almost flipping that around and that, and that, and that your focus is at least equally on the folks in the back third of the field as it is in the front third of the field. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say, uh, to your point, maybe not equally, even more so. I, I, I do think our, our, um, our middle of the Packers and the back of the Packers. Um, sometimes you don't know the story. Everybody has a story, right? That's what we talk about. Every participant has a, a story behind why they're there. Um, and you know, the, the woman that, that came in last in our Manchester city marathon last December, um, the tears of joy she had finishing seven hours and 11 minutes. And we let them finish beyond the cutoff time. Um, her seven hour and 11 minute finishing time, her photos at the end met, I'd argue the guy that won cared less about all that than, than she did. And she was, you know, dead last on that one. And, um, and as, as one of our announcers, Andy Shackett says, it's our last champion, right? His last champion of the day is the, is the, is the person that, that it, it, you know, is the caboose on there. But, you know, I, I do think they care more about it. And I, I come at from, from the experience as a former professional athlete myself, former college coach 
um, I had the opportunity to compete all over the world, um, all over the United States and, and some of the most prestigious events um, you could, you, you know, it, that the sport has to offer from, you know, Olympic trials to world championships to um, U.S. championships and state, all of them, uh, NCAA championships. My, my whole goal in creating an events company was to, to provide at some level the, the grandeur of a really good running event for the average person getting out there for the first time. And, and, and that first time hopefully leads to a second time and a third time, and then a lifelong journey of fitness in one way or another. Um, and that's, that's, you know, sort of the same way as, is we look at things even like off-road, you know, mountain racing you've done, um, you know, today's new 5k runner is tomorrow's mountain runner, you know, Ginza through the, through the, uh, through the, uh, what would you call that? The hierarchy of events and, and, and life cycle of a runner. So, um, yeah, we do care more about, I think sometimes we do care more about the average participant, um, or the backpacker than, than the winner. Cause, cause they do have a story and that's important to tell and hear. Yeah, there's no, there's no question. Um, and, and, and I think, um, I think as an event management company, if you stay open to those stories, uh, you know, those are the people that help grow your business. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, the, the elite runners will, they'll, they will always be there and they're going to, they're going to come and participate. They, now they may, they may choose another event over yours because the prize money payouts are, are bigger and, and that's okay. Truth is um, that you can grow a really robust, amazing running company and running community. Uh, by making sure that everybody feels special, everybody feels in, important, and I, I mean, I think you guys have, have have really done that in spades. You mentioned you mentioned the retail store, I, so I I think it's this is an, an important point to to mention to the listener that Millennium Running is a multifaceted organization. You know, there there are there are the events that you host. There's the retail store, and there's also a, a Millennium Running Club, and. So let let's talk about each of these because I, sure. I mean I think that's what for me anyway that's what's really interesting about the, the the business and the community that you've created, but but let's go back to the start of Millennium Running because I <laughs> from what I understand yeah. although I've not heard the story from what I understand there's an interesting story but let me <laughs> let me let me preface it this way John that um, that that it takes guts to start a business right that that in fact most startup businesses fail i mean i think the statistic is somewhere around 90% of startup businesses fail now the ones that succeed however often have several important elements in place including the right business model uh, a great team a unique idea and deep funding but interestingly enough perhaps the most important variable to success for a startup is timing now, n not not the kind no, of timing sports we're about before, yeah. but like <laughs> yeah. being at the right place at the right time. So, my question to you is: What did you see in the running specific market in 2010 um, that um, that looked like an opportunity for you? Right. In other words, what timing did you capitalize on at the start of Millennium Running? Yeah. Well, and and you said we have a little bit of time to talk today, so. Um, this might take a while, Chris. So let's go. go. It's going to go before that, though. Um, you know, the take genesis, the genesis of Millennium Running is really the event you alluded to, the Millennium Mile. Um, the Millennium Mile is an event that that I created with my best friend from high school, Matt Downen, um, and his older brother, Andy Downen. 
Now, the three of us were, uh, this is in 1999. So going, going to the Wayback Machine. Um, and, and this gets us to the turn of the millennium, hence Millennium Mile. Um, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, the three of us were at a bar in downtown Manchester, New Hampshire, talking about because, you know, that's what you do when you're a college kid. You come home, you go to the bar, you meet all your buddies again, right? Um, and so we were, I was, Matt and I, Matt Downen and I were, were seniors in, in, in college. I was at Michigan. He was at Wisconsin. Came back to visit our respective families and, and hung out at the Black Brimmer in downtown Manchester saying, what are we going to do for New Year's? Now, we've been hanging out as friends for a long time, going to different places, going to Boston, going to New York for New Year's Eve. If you recall, 1999, the world was going to shut down as soon as that old Y2K. I know a lot of your listeners are, you know, in the, maybe in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Some of them know that. When I tell the story to people that are in their 20s, they're like, what's, what, what's, y? what's Y2K? It's a reference point that you don't get. Um, but, you know, for those that might be younger, you know, the world was going to end because the computer systems weren't updated to account for the you know, 2000s, it was all stopped at 1989, 90, 91. We had to recalibrate. So we was, you know, the electrical grid was going to go down. Well, the last place we were going to go to was downtown Boston or downtown New York for a big New Year's Eve party if if, if the power grid shuts off. So we, we decided to um, invite all our respective friends from our own colleges. Um, Matt down and went to Wisconsin. I said, I went to Michigan. Andy down and went to Georgetown. Um, Invited all our friends to, to a giant New Year's Eve party in their house in Hampstead, New Hampshire. Um, and they had one of those cool houses that had the, you know, the bar, the ping pong tables, the pool table, the jacuzzi, plenty of place for people. You know, when we were younger, that's where we, you know, crashed for the night. You know, <laughs> that's where the parties happened. And um, all of us being runners, we did the guest list of everybody coming up. And, and um, the number of All-American certificates between all the guests was 72 All-Americans were, were going to be at this party. And, um, and we're talking about, we had five of the top 12 men in the mile from the former <laughs> U.S. championships. So we, we had Olympians, we had U.S. champions, we had All-Americans galore, and uh, both men and women coming to this great party. And um, we said, wouldn't it be really funny to just jump on a bus and go to some road race with all these ringers, right? These fast guys, and some were professional, obviously collegiate runners for a bunch of them. And... Um, and ultimately, the only race that existed, and it still exists today, I think it's like 45 years or longer, was the Hangover Classic. Um, Hangover Classic is a New Year's Day road race. And that, to us, was um, you know, a bunch of college kids. We, we didn't, A, we didn't know if you know, New Year's Day was going to happen, nor were we going to be in any condition on New Year's Day after hanging out all night to, 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 uh, to go to a race. So we said, well, let's just ha let's do our own race then let's do one on new year's eve so we came up with the idea and we, we mapped out some you know we could do a 5k we could do a half marathon like well in reality we, we we actually said you know what we have all these great athletes let's just do a mile call it the millennium mile that'd be great we found a downhill stretch of road um no I, i'm going back one second we, we had done some research there had never been a sub four minute mile run in the state of new hampshire at that time so indoor track, outdoor track, on the roads, nothing. Um, it's one of the few states at the time that didn't have a sub four in, in, its, in its category. And so um, we have all these guys, many of whom had run sub four anyway. Let's, let's do a mile. And so we said, let's do it. 
then we said, well, you know what? It's cold. It's Jan, you know, December 31st. Let's, let's find a downhill mile, make sure we can do it. And so we found a downhill stretch a mile from, uh, you know, my high school down uh, one mile south of that. And it was, it was pretty good downhill on that. And, um, we had all the guys show up and, and that year, I think, uh, I think seven guys broke four minutes. It was the first time it had ever, we had a hundred and I think it was 120 some odd people register. 70 of them were going to the party. Uh, I think the entry fee, we collected $5 cash or check. <laughs> um, and had a whole bunch of people run the millennium mile, um, donated, you know, maybe a hundred bucks to charity from the event to, a, and some of the extra food and water that were donated, we gave those to the homeless kitchen. And, um, the news media got a hold at local news media for us, uh, published results. And we're, there were the TV camera cause it was a first sub four and, uh, it was a lot of fun. And that was the millennium mile in 1999. If I fast forward, um, uh, now of course that, you know, Y2K never really happened. It was like, everybody was fine. We woke we up. We all survived, right? We all survived, you know, a little hungover that day, next day, but we all survived. And um, we had a great party. We earned enough money to buy a keg. So that was, that was great. Um, if I fast forward almost a year later, I was at, uh, again, I was at a turkey trot in my hometown and uh, someone in the running community said, I can't wait for your mile again. I missed it. I, I saw it on the news. I'm definitely running it this year. And I turned to my, my buddy, Matt, who was there. I'm like, that was last year. He missed it. <laughs> you know, there was supposed to be a one and done. Um, so those things were, uh, we sort of talked about it as, as a group and, and they were like, no, you should do it again. You should do it again. So we ultimately duplicated the event in year two, um, and, um, had a bunch of guys still run fast and it was fun. And then it was after that, that I had moved back to my home state of New Hampshire. And, and I said, well, you know what, this little millennium mile thing, we had more people that ran last year. This was fun. It became sort of a pet project of mine. Um, I was a professional runner for Adidas at the time. Um, and I started college coaching at Boston college. This was a sort of side project. I was going to some road races. Anyway, I put flyers on cars, sort of old school guerrilla marketing. And then every year over the next couple of years, the, the millennium mile as a pet project, you know, went from 120 people to 170 to 250 to 300. It slowly started to get better and bigger every year. And, and, and it was fun and more people ran. We had people like Dina Castor come. Some of our friends, Dina Castor, Olympic silver medalist in the marathon, a friend of mine. She came to the, I mean, we had legitimately Olympians and medalists coming to, to participate and be part of the fun, usually because we had a good New Year's Eve party. That was really the, the crux of it. But, um, and, and it was, you know, 10 years later. So you talk about like business plans and stuff. This was just a pet project off the corner of my desk. And at the 10 year mark, the, the 10th year, um, we had uh, um, exceeded a thousand runners for the first time. So we had a thousand year 10, like basically about a hundred people per year, just growing, growing. And that light bulb moment went off in my head at that point. We actually, we took proceeds from the event and we, we made a scholarship fund in my mom and dad's memorial name that had passed away in that time frame. Um, so it became a very personal thing for me. To, to be able to give back. But at the same time, that light bulb moment was like, wow, this just made some pretty good money. We just had a thousand people run on New Year's Day that it had moved to New Year's Day. I was like, this is, this is, there's like a, there's something here 
um, there's something there, there, so to speak. And the light bulb moment went off. And I said, well, if I did this, you know, five or six times a year, I, and I gave money to charity, get thousands of people running, um, this is a blueprint for something. So unlike a, a business plan or well-funded, um, it, it was, you know, for me, it was a little bit of luck, um, a passion project sort of becoming that light bulb moment. And, uh, and that was in, in 2010, you know, 10 years into it, it had a thousand runners. And, and then that created that millennium mile idea, uh, created millennium running um, that we created and formalized as a business. So there had to have been, there had to have been, now obviously that luck is always a variable, John, but I, I really feel like we make our own luck, right? Um, oftentimes. Um, I mean, what, what did the event, what did the running event management landscape look to you? Uh, what did it look like to you in, in 2010? I mean, it, it, it likely wasn't as busy of a, of an event schedule as it is, oh, yeah. as it is today, but, um, how did you know that the success of the millennium mile could, could be translated to other distances, other venues? What, Sure. What, what, um, what, what belief did you have at that time based on what you knew about the event management space? Mm -hmm. How was Millennium Running going to be able to tremendous success with the, with the Millennium Mile? But um, what, what, what gave you the confidence that you could, that you could build out a business from that, the success of one event? You know, um, I, didn't have, I didn't major in business. I, I was an architecture major. That's what I majored, you know, as a, as a scholarship athlete at Michigan. Um, I didn't have the business background to say, hey, I could do this in the pro formas or, you know, the building out a business plan. I didn't build out a business plan. I, you know, kind of went on passion. And, and one of the things about business that I, I, I relate business in the world I'm in now a lot to athletics because I think there's such a parallel between the two. Um, and, and, you know, as a runner, trying to win a national championship or coming all like it's about putting in the work every day. You don't, you don't win things in athletics and running specifically um, without putting in the miles, putting in the training, getting in the weight room, getting into the, you know, stretching, all getting the body work done. There's so many different facets you need to hit on an everyday basis. And I kind of just look at the business venture of millennium running as a corollary to that. Um, I felt like I was going to put in the time, put in the miles, put in the work, put in the effort, put in the research. Um, you know, whether I knew enough about it, because I didn't, I was very novice as a business person, but I knew I could outwork everybody. I could, I could put in the time I could be, you know, my architecture major did create, did enhance my creativity. Cause that's a, a lot, a lot of my formal education was around creativity. And, and I think sometimes that has a lot to do with it, but, but I knew I just put in the time and, and put in the work. So it, I don't know necessarily that I believed in the market or the, but I believed in myself that I would make it work. Like, I'm just, I'm going to put in the, I'm going to put in the miles for lack of a better term. And um, so that very first year in 2011, when it, I created a company, LLC and Google searched how to create a LLC in the state of New Hampshire. Um, and my wife, who I alluded to before, Jennifer, she was a school teacher at the time. She was the breadwinner. I walked away from college coaching, um, which was was my profession, and um, at the time, and I just said, "I'm I'm going to go all in." You know, I'm just going to 
throw it and I'm, I'm going to do this. And in that very first year in 2011, I actually, it was me, myself, and I say we a lot, but it was really just me, myself, and I, and the, <laughs> have the, Hey, welcome to millennium running. We'll be happy to help you on the answer machine. And, um, there was no, we, it was, an, um, so kind of make yourself sound more important than, than you are. And, um, I worked at it that very first year, um, in 2011, I was able to produce 11 or I'm sorry, six new races in 2011. So, um, or, or five new races, six in total, each one of them built off the, the, the other one. Um, but going back to the market space analysis that you asked me about, you know, when you said, what about the, the landscape in New Hampshire? One, I'm a New Hampshire guy, so I know the state really well. Um, I felt like I had the right connections, um, with some of the media and newspapers and TV. So that was part of it. Um, number, number two, I looked at, you know, I'm, I grew up in Londonderry, New Hampshire, which is just the bordering town to Manchester. Manchester, New Hampshire is the largest city in the state. The largest race in the city of the state was the Cigna Elliott corporate challenge at the time. It's a corporate 5k business-based thing. And it had about 5,000 people. The next largest race in Southern New Hampshire, which is nearby, had less than 500 people in it. And so my market analysis, the, the landscape was, man, you have a race that have 5,000 people, but you can't get more than 500 at another event. Um, there were some ideas, you know, not, not new ideas, but you know, a turkey trot, Thanksgiving, everybody, you, you run on Thanksgiving probably with, with your family, right? Um, it's the most popular running day in the world, in the United States at least and um, American Thanksgiving. And there was no turkey trot in the, in, the, in the state's largest city. So I said, how do I create a turkey trot? Um, an Irish themed road race wasn't my, I didn't invent Irish themed road races and green beer, uh, but I knew that would, that would work. I didn't invent a Santa Claus race. I wasn't the first one ever to a Santa Claus race, but I knew there was a market space for that. So back in 2011, you know, looking at those things, those were A, outwork people, be 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 creative and see take advantage of the market gaps that that i that i saw and and that that was really what happened with that first year of just producing races and each one of those events uh produced in 2011 all had over a thousand people their first year which was um kind of got the motor running pretty good so we'll 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 talk more uh, about the events in 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 just a moment but but um sort of help me establish the timeline. Um, when did the idea, when did the, this idea of I'm going to host events, right. As a, mm -hmm. as a, as a business, how did it evolve into a retail store and then eventually a, a running club? Yeah. Um, help, help, help me, help me understand <laughs> that timeline. So the running club came second. Um, and this was, uh, it, it, it was pretty early on actually in 2011 when we, we announced we were going to do our Shamrock event and it's just two miles. You get a beer afterwards. Uh, there are five Irish pubs in downtown Manchester and you can choose which one of the bars you go to get your, your post-race beer. And so as one of the promotions leading up to it, I contacted all the bar owners to, to, uh, you know, arrange our our beer ticket distribution and, and redemption at, at their great restaurants. And there's some really good restaurants in downtown Manchester. And, and at the end of the day, um, I said, you know, we're going to do a training run for our, um, for our shamrock shuffle. 
And the Thursday before each one of the Thursdays leading up to that, we're going to do what we called the Millennium Social Club. And it was a training run uh, just to get together. And, and I, I convinced a beer company to give us, you know, some free beer tickets and, and everybody, they, they paid, I think it was 20 bucks just to go to four runs and, um, get a beer and meet people and have fun. And we gave a t-shirt. Um, and, and that was the, the goal was a promotion for our Shamrock event. And then after that, man, we had, we had like 30 people show up, 35 people show up, then 40 people show up. And the event was over and people emailed me and said, can we keep this going? <laughs> this is a lot of fun. So it became a, a Thursday pub run. And, and again, we're not the first first or last people ever do a pub run. Um, but that was, it, it sort of evolved from a, from, uh, you know, a training uh, promotional run at a bar to a weekly social club run. And, and so we started doing our, our weekly pub runs as part of what, what was then called the Millennium Running Social Club. Um, and believe me, it got a little too social sometimes. So it was, you know, uh, those Thursday nights became long for some people. So we, we um, uh, and that went on for, you know, a couple of years. And although great fun, we, we met a lot of fun people, enjoyed ourselves. And then, um, and this is, this is my wife's influence and, and our competitive instincts coming back around. Um, as we started to transition to a retail store, we, we had more to offer than just, uh, the Thursday pub runs. It became a little bit more about the Tuesday workouts, the Sunday long runs. Uh, the now that we had a you know later on we had a store, some of the nutritional things you could do, some of the resources we could put into what a running club looked like. So we renamed it the Millennium Running Club uh, soon thereafter to to be more inclusive of of uh, training, nutrition, all the things that come along with with that level of um, of a club. Yeah. And so, so, so the retail store, retail operation came, came along third then if, if yeah, yeah. Putting, these, putting these in line, what? Well, yeah. what well, everybody what? said, whatever you do, don't do retail. That's the dumbest thing you'll ever get to do. Everybody <laughs> well, buys but, on Amazon. <laughs> but, 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 it, but explain yourself, John, yeah. why, 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 why get in, why get into the rat race that can be retail? Sure. And uh, you, you know, interesting story about that, Chris, is where that came around was early in my, um, let's say fairly early, two years, three years into running my business. Um, and we started producing more events and um, we started timing our events, um, buying some infrastructure. I mean, to, to run a business, uh, bringing on employees, um, there's a fair amount of liability that comes along with that and financial liability is what I mean. And, and there's a couple of ways to grow a business, right? And, and either you just take off and you're uber successful right off the bat and you're self-financing things as, you know, you're making money to put back in the business. And we did a bunch of that, but, um, I wanted to, to expand quickly in, in a couple of ways and bring on more employees and, and bring on more infrastructure. And, and I went to a, 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 a friend of mine that, you know, as chief lending officer at a bank, I said, this is what, this is our business. I had my financials that I had a, an accountant put together. I said, here's our, here's our year over year profit and loss. Here's our balance sheets. We really want to get a loan. Like we want to, we want a loan so we can, you know, grow our business faster, bring on more people, have, you know, infrastructure that, that we needed. And he, he looked at it, even though he knew me, he's like, this is such a non-traditional business you know, events. What do you own? 
if a bank says, hey, you know, you default on your loan, what are they what do they repo from you? <laughs> do you need some cones? Do you need, you know, an inflatable arch with your logo on it? You're going to get pennies on the dollar for that sort of stuff as a <laughs> So there's not a lot of collateral there um, from an event base. You own a database of emails. You own, it's, it's a very non-traditional business, quote unquote, um, from that perspective. And the interesting thing about that is it, he said something to me that stuck with me and I didn't do it right away. He goes, but if you had like a store or a brick and mortar facility, that's what a bank will lend on. Cause I didn't have enough revenue history basically. And, and it, that stuck on the back of my mind. I'm like, man, that's crazy. Why would I do that? And, um, but it stuck in the, in the back of my mind. And a couple of years later, as we started to grow and we, we took, you know, instead of taking giant steps as a company, we were taking baby steps to grow within ourselves. And, um, and it was, you know, six years into the, the business that, um, we needed warehouse space. We needed a new trucks. We needed more stuff. And, and, um, I, I came back around and said, you know what, I can, I think I, now I know enough about business. I can write a business plan, uh, that allows us that, that flexibility. So that was, it was really a facilities um, thing that, that we bought a building that has warehouse space, office space, and a storefront. And, and so really it became about, you mentioned before, um, being a business, I forget the word you said, but I'd like to say vertically integrated. You know, we have online registration, timing, events, and retail. So all those things in the same, same parallel. Um, and, um, and that's really where it came down to as, as a matter of, you know, we couldn't have trucks and trailers um, and box trucks in my garage at home. <laughs> so I, I, I allude to my wife on this stuff again, um, you know, having box trucks and trailers in the driveway only lasts so long before or when the, when the, when the 2000 Santa suits get delivered and they take up the garage space and it snows three feet, <laughs> where do you... <laughs> I think, so, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's the story of any small event director. Their basement is full of plastic bins with race supplies. And at some point uh, you outgrow uh, your, your own space. Um, that's exactly, so, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. <laughs> so. so by, by my quick count, and you'll correct me if I'm, I'm wrong with this, but millennium running has, I think 29 signature events. Yep. Yeah, twenty nine, right. which means events that we own as a business, we own and operate them. Yeah. Correct. Your signature events, and that making making you the largest road racing event management company in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. John, how did you maintain quality while scaling your business? You know, you went from you went from one event, the Millennium Mile, to now twenty nine signature events. Now, to your point, um, you didn't do you didn't do this overnight, right? But right. but but that being said, your business has scaled. Um, over the last 11 or 12 years. Um, and there's always a challenge, of course, when you, when, when, you scale, when you scale a business to maintain quality, right? I mean, that's, sure. that's oftentimes what happens. We see this with, with businesses who grow too quickly. Um, uh, they, you know, they, they lose something. And what they lose often is they, they, lose, their, they lose quality. And in fact, part of it is they lose their soul. But uh, how, right. ha how have you been able to maintain quality while scaling the business? Yeah, you know, that's... that's a really good question. I think from, from my perspective, scaling and quality is directly related to the team. Um, and when I say that, um, you know, there, I've been lucky enough to have people choose to work for, for our company, uh, Millennium as a, as a company, whether that be on the retail side of it 
or it be on the event side of it. Um, we're lucky enough to, to find people that, you know, it's a, you could, you could choose to work just about anywhere you want, right? Getting a job, sometimes you're lucky and you have a great job, but, but you can choose if you're not happy and, you know, find someone else to work. And, and most people are gamefully employed. We, we are lucky to have people that really care and are passionate as much as I am sometimes more uh, passionate than I am about certain things. Um, but they're, they, they work really, really hard and they're dedicated and disciplined to producing a fantastic event or, or, or putting together a, a great retail experience for a consumer. They're very passionate about it. Um, so I think that comes out, the scalability comes out because I can't do it myself. Um, we have amazing people. And that's, someone once told me the most critical part of a business is the people that work at that business. And, and I wholeheartedly agree that, you know, the team of people we have and, you know, whenever I do an offer letter of employment or, or asking people to, to work for us, I always say, refer to it as our millennium family. Um, granted, we are a family business, but these, you know, you, you treat them, you want to treat people like family. And, and um, because I, I truly believe that the, the, the most important thing to the success of our business uh, and very authentically too. So. Well, that culture, John, is it always comes top down, right? I mean, you, you know, the 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 culture of your team um, is uh, is directed and guided by you know by by how you operate, right? And 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 the things that are really important to you. Um, sort of a, a tangential story, but there is a tie-in, yeah. interesting tie-in, I think, to Millennium Running. Um, very recently, uh, a Buffalo Bills football player collapsed on the field of an apparent mm -hmm. cardiac event during the game. Uh, you had something similar happen at one of your events. Um, will you tell that story? Yeah. Well, you know, ironically, it's happened at a number of them at this point. You know, you, you, you have enough participants, you have enough population base, and, you know, we'll have about 65,000 people annually run events that we're part of. Um, you know, odds are, you know, just odds of health in, in, in the world, you know, you're, people are going to have underlying health conditions they don't know about. Um, but, you know, going back to uh, one of our events, the, the very first time it happened was something called the snowflake shuffle. It's a January event. And, and um, you know, 99 times out of a hundred, 999 times out of a thousand people are going to go out for a run and have a great day. Feel good. That one in a, one in a million, so to speak opportunities happen where, you know, someone doesn't feel good. Maybe they just, you know, got to get a breather. But in this case, a gentleman, you know, went down in cardiac arrest right in the middle of the race. Um, and uh, I got to be honest with you, to be in charge of an event where, where, where people were supposed to be fun, it's supposed to be enjoyable, have a good time. You got a band on the course, you got a beers at the end, you have this just a great environment. People are succeeding, their hands up in the air as they finish. But to be a position where, you know, someone is having a heart attack, and potentially dying and in some ways probably did for a bit um and it's happened at our snowflake event it's happened at our shamrock event it happened at something our mardi gras event that we did um to have to have those situations is is uh is is difficult for everybody it's difficult for the participants and their family or, or the participant obviously the the family um it's and it's spectators and and staff and everybody part of it is is uh definitely shaken when you when you have those just like that just recently the the, the buffalo bills player um the whole their whole team was shaken by it so when you deal with life and death issues there's nothing more important at the end of the day is making sure everybody gets home healthy um 
on, and it, it certainly changed the way we approach um, our our life safety when we've had those things. You, you, you get better at stuff the more you do it, right? You yeah, learn yeah. from your mistakes. Not that there were mistakes in this case, but you learn how to be better at something. Um, yeah, and and that's part of it. If 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 we're talking about this, the same incident is 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 that the story that um, there happened to be a physician running the <laughs> event as well? And that physician came upon the gentleman uh, who was who was in yeah. need of some some life saving medical yeah. care. Am I? Are we talking about the same? You sure same are. Situation. You sure are. And and um, you know, there's about two thousand people running in our snowflake event, and this gentleman is about a mile and a half into the race, halfway through a five k, furthest away, and just starts to stagger a little bit. Pretty dense field anyway, but he goes down, and and the person behind him that is the first on the scene is the chief cardiologist at Catholic medical center in New Hampshire. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to go down, uh, in front, uh, you know, in a race who you want behind you is a chief cardiologist. So, uh, Dr. Capitalupa was his name that, um, was there to be first in the scene and, um, early intervention saves lives, um, with, with any, with, with most medical things, but certainly in, in heart issues, early medical attention can, can certainly save lives. And, um, you know, he was, uh, Ray was, uh, was, you know, survived it and, and, um, had early, you know, but was put in quickly dealt with on site. Our medical team got there, uh, within just, just a matter of moments, rushed to the hospital, had a quadruple bypass, was in a coma, uh, uh a medical induced coma for two days and came out and, um, and, and then continued to, to he lost weight, um, ran more, has run a marathon, um, and now beats the cardiologist pretty consistently. <laughs> so, that's, um, that's a, that's a great, that's yeah. a great script to the, and, to the story. And, and you know, what's you know, we say getting better and learning about this stuff, you know, our, our partner in that Catholic medical center, who I alluded to, uh, we have another great partner, Elliot hospital, some, definitely some great medical partners that are part of our community and, um, CMC donated, uh, five AEDs to us after that. They donated them and they go in each one of our vehicles because it, in fact, um, where that gentleman, where Ray had that heart attack, um, I was actually in the lead vehicle leading the race, right? I actually abandoned the lead, let the police, uh, motorcycle take the rest of them. And I was on site, ironically, right at that, you know, a, a split second after this happened. Uh, if I had an AED in my truck, in my, in my lead vehicle that day, we would have had even better care. We had to wait for the, um, you know, the ambulance to, to dispatch, to get to where we needed to be. But, um, so now we have, because of great partners like that, you know, have, have AEDs in every vehicle and something happens at registration, there's an AED right there. So, um, yeah. And for, for the, for the listener, uh, who's, who's maybe not familiar with an AED, that's an automated external defibrillator. Um, it, it ends up being a, uh, a fairly unique piece of medical equipment in so much, as that they are actually designed for lay people to be able to operate. Now there's, you know, there's, there's some, there's some training associated for, for yourself and your team on, on how to use them. But the point of an automated uh, external defibrillator is that these devices are, they are life-saving devices and they, they are spread out in the community. You find them now in airports and shopping malls. Uh, of course, fire stations have them. 
uh, mm -hmm. management companies now more and more millennium running, certainly being a leader here now, now has them, but, but truly, and in fact, they, uh, they have one at the gym that I belong to now. Well, let me tell you a story about that one too. We, <laughs> while we're talking about these things, it's, it's actually <clears throat> kind of amazing on this, right? So part of it is good communication, right? Um, and you can go back to your days of a, you know, in mountains, stuff, stuff happens up in the mountains, you, you know, you're somewhat inaccessible at some level. It, it's, you know, you got to work really, you got ATVs to dispatch. I mean, you, you can get there, but it's not like it's on the street corner, so to speak. Um, we had an event, our Mardi Gras event. It was a night event. It was actually on Fat Tuesday. And um, uh, we had an athlete, again, go down about halfway through the event on course. And the first thing people do um, you know, there's, there's an officer every block or, or course marshal every block they can, but it happened in between blocks. So the first thing that happened was telephone tag, runner down, runner down, runner down, runner down, got to the intersection, police officer required, inquired what it was. Okay. I'll dispatch. We'll send them over. It went to us. The ambulance got from its location over to, to, to the location where the runner was down and the runner had people around him. He was on the curb you know, slunched over a little bit, kind of breathing heavy. Um, and, and the EMS, the EMS people looked around there already had, um, you know, medical, uh, AED, uh, medical, he had already been shocked. Um, uh, what actually happened was a quick thinking participant, a fellow runner. It was a fit lab right there. A fit lab is a gym nearby, literally ran to the fit lab, grabbed the AED off the wall and came back and shocked this gentleman before we could get medical attention to him. It was amazing. And, um, I mean, talk about early medical intervention changes his life. I mean, there's some ways that was just, that was just luck and, 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 a you know, a right place, right time for the AED and a quick thinking, good Samaritan uh, was pretty amazing. So, um, um, yeah, that's, that's also really, that that's also incredibly remarkable, but, 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 but truth is, um, you know, as, as an event management company um, to, to have access to AEDs uh, for your participants, um, is without question a differentiator, right? Like, you know, nobody chooses what events they're going to run because the event management company does or does not have AEDs, automated external defibrillators. But, but truth is um, that, you know, that, that, that sometimes, you know, that one in a million happenstance happens. Um, yep. And, um, you know, to know that the event management company that is hosting the event that you are running happens to have life-saving equipment that can be delivered, you know, to your side within, within minutes is just, that's extraordinary. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's a story that needs to be told, yeah. you know, um, uh, and as, you know, as, as you are telling the millennium running story, cause I, I mean, I think that's so incredibly, well, um, we hope we never have to use them really. Right. But, but just, you plan for the worst and hope for the best is what you say. But, um, yeah. I mean, that's not to say that, that having those, those, uh, defibrillators is, isn't an, an addition to it. We have some of the best medical people, um, you know, involved in our events. I've alluded to a couple of hospitals, but, you know, we have, you know, medical tents with medical professionals that are hired. Uh, and one of the interesting things about, you, you know, the event management business, is so often people say, oh, thanks for volunteering. Thanks for volunteering. You know, they'll say to a police officer as they run by, thanks for volunteering, holding up traffic. Well, they're, they're not volunteering. They're being hired. Um, and and sometimes as an event business, you have to, you, you can't be a, a penny wise, pound foolish. Investing in your public safety 
and, and your medical life safety stuff is, is the best money that you'll ever spend. Um, because that's the, you know, if, if you don't have the right stuff, you don't have the right professionals, um, that, that shortcuts your entire operation in a, in a heartbeat. Um, and, and, you know, we've doubled down on that, on that medical team uh, at our signature events, the events we own and operate to have, you know, medical tents with doctors, nurses, you know, obviously ambulances on course, but both on course, the finish line, all, all sorts of places. And, um, cause I never, you know, God forbid we have that opportunity where, where someone doesn't survive for, for but if there's time to go, I actually had a, I had one gentleman tell me, um, uh, he was training for our Shamrock event. That's one of the other races we had a heart attack. He, he had already finished and was cooling. He was already having a glass of water and, and kind of went down afterwards. Um, he told me, he had told me afterwards, he goes, I, I was training for two months for this race. He said, I got a glass of water, went on my back porch almost every run. I, this could have happened on my back porch and my wife would have found me hours later. The best place to have a heart attack is at your finish line. Um, so, you know, we're, we're lucky to have those great people as part of the, part of the event for sure. Yeah. I mean, as, as macabre, as that sounds, um, there's, there's no question about it. I mean, there are, there are, it, it, we used to talk about this in the hospital setting too, that, um, that, you know, the, the, but the best place to have a medical emergency is, is within the hospital, right? Because there, I mean, there are times in which that same medical emergency, um, happening in your living room, as you sit there all by yourself results in mm -hmm. a much more, much, much different outcome, um, than if you are in a medical setting. So, um, you know, I, I would be remiss as part of this conversation, particularly as we talk about event management, not to mention um, uh, the role and the lead that you took uh, during the pandemic uh, for all of us in the event management space. I mean, it really, uh, it was you and your work um, through the legislative process or or, or, or or however you exerted your influence in the event management space, um, uh, you know, millennium running events continued to happen during the pandemic. Um, and in fact, you know, other events had the opportunity to come back online much sooner than in other parts of the country. Again, because of your leadership, because of your sort of forward thinking about how do we work through this? My question to you, John, as it relates to the, the pandemic is this, um, were there any changes that you made, right? Um, from, um, from a race directing race hosting standpoint that allowed you to continue your operation through the pandemic? Were there any of those changes that you sustained and carried forward as things began to open back up and, and become more quote unquote normalized. Normal, Any yeah. pandemic error changes uh, that yeah. you continued uh, forward? Yeah, I think more. Um, it's really, really cool segue there. And to talk about some, some things that are, I think really important. Um, but globally speaking, I think the pandemic as an event management, as a business owner, even as a family person, right? It made you made you take a step back and look at what you're doing with a different lens. You know, what does school look like for kids that have to be homeschooled? How do you manage your family life in that situation? What does that look like? Because it's not just doing what we did last year or doing what we did last week or, you know, that from a, just a everyday mom and dad at home. Uh, you had to reinvent 
your lifestyle, your, you know, where kids do homework at the kitchen table, you know, where mom and dad can work and be remotely. So I think globally speaking, the pandemic allowed for us to have a very critical eye in how we, you know, we had to reinvent the events. And, you know, as you remember the 2020, 21 words of the year were like pivot and all that sort of stuff. But um, we had to look at every aspect of an event from top to bottom and analyze whether that was the right thing to do or, or, or how to move forward with that. And I think, you know, what we kept over from the pandemic as we got back to normal was the philosophy of let's be critical of our own work and, and let's look at each, just because this is what we did last year, isn't the right reason. Um, it should be looked at with a very critical eye because we always want to do right by the consumer, produce the right event, the safest event. And, and if there are things we learned from, from just looking critically, it would be, I think it's, it's wholeheartedly looking critically in, at each aspect of our event. It might take a little bit more time, but it's, it's time well spent. So, um, I mean, I, I mentioned you're a, you're, you're a, a leader in the industry. So um, it, from that position, John, from the position that you are in now, um, as you look forward to new advances or technologies or developments, What's next in the in the event management space? Do you think where? Oh gosh! What's the next? What's the next big thing? Right? I mean, <laughs> you know, at, at, at one point, you know, events were being timed with a stopwatch and a and a and, and a clipboard, uh, and then and then and then chip timing became a thing. And I'm, I, that's just sort of one sort of aspect and element of the of the advancement and development of running uh, as as an event. Um, where do you think? Uh, where do you think events are going, endurance events? Because I should say, too, that uh, Millennium Running uh, doesn't just host running events. You guys are also in the triathlon space as well. Yep. So broaden it to... out to what's next in the in the endurance hmm. event management space, do you think? Well, I think, you know, when you get under the covers, a lot of the stuff, it's uh, there's such an industry behind event management. And, and some sometimes people are new to the sport. They don't understand or have access to the back end of, you know, what, who owns the event, who operates the event, what's, why do they do it? Um, obviously the charitable aspects of events are huge. Um, you know, what you're running for, why you're running. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of, there's, there's so much to the running industry that, that is, is huge. But what I think you're, you're going to see, and I, I'm starting to see it now a little bit too. Um, you have these events that were started 25, 30, 40, 45 years ago. Um, and, and they get to a point where the person, much like you and I, when we we're starting events, you do it as a passion project. You do it as a something while well, you love it. Um, you put your heart and soul into it. And, and there's some of these events that are starting to get to their, what you'd call their golden years. They're, they're years of, um, you know, it's someone's got to carry the baton on this. Um, and, and we just were lucky enough to acquire an event just recently because of that. Um, we were able to acquire um, the only half marathon in downtown Boston called Boston's Run to Remember. It's a half marathon on Memorial Day weekend. We'll be producing it in 2023 for the first time as a company. Uh, but it happened seven. It's the 17th year of it. Um, the race director is retiring um, and, and he needed to hand the baton to someone. He didn't want to see those 17 years of amazing work and amazing charity work and thousands and thousands of runners every year. Um, he wanted to see that legacy continue. So I, I think what you're going to see, uh, one of the big things, I, I just think you're going to see a shift in the industry of um, events 
you know, maybe even large scale events, just dynamically changing and, and, and who's in charge of them. And, and some events might cease to exist. Some events might flourish. Um, but you, you saw that in the last go around. I mean, you have great companies like Rock and Roll Marathon, um, you know, Rock and Roll, and you're, you're getting purchased by a venture capital group or things like that. Those stories happen. I, th I think you're just going to see some changes within the industry um, that maybe the general consumer doesn't doesn't outwardly see, but as an event producer, there's there's more to the industry than meets the eye for a lot of people. Uh, it's, a, it's a good point. You mentioned VCs or venture capitalists. Um, <laughs> there's at least one that I can think of. I won't mention the name, but there, there's at least one event management company here in New England um, that is uh, um, very much behind the scenes is is owned and operated by uh, a venture capitalist group. Uh, the question is, um, do you think events need to event management companies? Do they need to be more transparent about um, about who they are owned by, who they are backed by, or do you think that doesn't matter? In other words, Millennium Running is a it's a it's a it's a family business. You started the business. You own the business. Um, uh, Acidotic Racing very much the same way, and that we're a small startup, you know, mm -hmm. family owned and, and operated. Um, uh, do you think event management companies owe their participants any transparency with respect yeah. to, you know, who writes the big checks? Yeah, I mean, I would like to think that any business that operates authentically does, and whether it's is, is that it's one of my biggest pet peeves is going to a website and you hit the about us section, and it just has a form to fill out and send your e email in or whatever. Um, I, I think having an authentic uh, presence, and, and maybe that authentic presence has changed over time for some people. You know, if you're purchased, you know, say you're going to an investor or you're purchased by someone, you know, that's maybe that's not public information, but. Um, I think authenticity is really, really important. Um, and, and I do think that, um, you know, going back to your COVID question, one of the things that I truly um, believe about COVID was, was one of the most, you know, they say silver lining, right? Most redeeming qualities about that time frame as an event um, management company is we created a more intimate relationship with our customers. And what I mean by that is, you know, more, more, functionally, we did some, something called the time trial start, not too indifferent than what happens in stage biking or something like that. Um, you know, some of the stages of Tour de France where they have a time, one person going every X amount of time. We did that with our events. So, you know, our Manchester City Marathon, the only marathon that happened in New England in 2020, um, had, you know, what do we have, 2,200 participants across the board in, in the event um, between the half and the marathon relay and the 5K. Um, but each person got to walk the red carpet, get their name announced and start their race. Um, my role in that was I got to be the start line usher. So every single person that came up, I made sure they were in order. They were ordered by bib number. I gave them a fist pump, you know, elbow at that time, everybody has masks on whatnot. Um, but when they said, you know, it's Chris Dunn starting the, you know, the shamrock shuffle and get a fist pump. I had an intimate relationship with our customers. And, and I think that, um, I hope we always have a degree of that. Um, that's a, just on steroids in a way that like, you, hopefully we don't have to go back that way. But, but in reality, it's, it's something that I think was very, very special um, for us as a company. For me personally, I, I think while our consumers wanted in some way needed to run for their health and wellness, 
I, I needed that too um, for my health and wellness and, and where we were. So I think authenticity can't be understated in anything you do. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So, so don't, so um, just don't have an about us that goes to a page that says click here. <laughs> and don't, and don't bury the fact that you are actually owned by a venture capitalist group in, in San Diego, California, <laughs> and you are sort of publicizing yourself as a New England based event management company. <laughs> yeah, the truth yeah. is that the, that the big wigs sit in an office in, uh, yeah, in Santa, in Santa Clara, California is nothing wrong with Santa Clara, yeah. California. It is not Bedford, New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, John, as, <laughs> uh, you know, as, um, as we emerged from the pandemic, uh, and, and people began to, um, uh, come get back to in-person events, um, uh, the way that they remembered in-person events, uh, being, they also, uh, they also returned back to, uh, places of business like their local running store yep. being an example of that. Um, you know, th this idea of, of, uh, as a, as a business model, uh, working to make sure everyone feels special, mm -hmm. right. And then, and that, and that everyone is valued. Um, how is that presented, uh, in, in the retail space? I walk into millennium running, um, What's the feel that I get as I as I walk into, yeah. into your retail space? You know, it, it's funny uh, going back to what's next on the big stuff like in the world. When when we first started thinking about producing a, a, a store, um, we have, you know, some digital, some TVs and stuff that are up on the walls when you walk in. Um, because we have uh, so much technology in our timing, one of the things that we wanted to do was provide everybody with um, – basically an RFID tag, almost like big brother, right? Every time they walk in the store, if they're a member, um, their name pops up on that, like, welcome, Chris. <laughs> like we wanted, you know, whether it be like, hey, bring your bib number back in after the race and you'll get 15% off your purchase or whatever, a way to bring them back. Um, you know, that's what, so the big, you know, maybe we do little computers. Maybe the big thing that you alluded to before is like computer chips that are like, and that becomes your time and device. And, but that, that's going to get into a little bit more controversial. Stuff that we that's not, to. that's not that far fetched, John. I mean, my, yeah. my dogs have microchips now, in, now mm -hmm. in, in theory, you know, it doesn't, it's just a little small, uh, yeah. little small device that's implanted under their skin. All of a sudden now bibs go away, right? I can, I can literally register by just. Uh, passing my phone over my microchip and register for a millennium. Anyway, yeah, uh, that's yeah. Uh, that's that's getting a little bit into, into sci-fi, <laughs> but uh, so that's cool. So I, as a, I'm a member, uh, I'm a yeah. member of the store. I'm a member of the club. I walk in, and uh, all of a sudden now the, the the TV monitors are welcoming me to the store. <laughs> right. um, but let, let, let's say I'm let's say I'm a new customer. I've, I'm walking into Millennium Running, the retail store space for the first time. Um, yeah, what? What feel do I get as I, as I walk into the yeah. store? You know, um, we're not a big box store. We kind of put things in like outlets, well, online outlets, big box store. We're running specialty. That's what, and your, your, your local running store and going back to the cheers, you know, you, you want to you know, go where everybody knows your name, so to speak. Right. Um, you know, the first part of our sales mantra uh, of our fitology is what we call fitology is our fit process. Um, the first one and the, probably the most important one is consultation is get to know the person. Um, you're not just a customer. You're coming in here. Um, what's your name? Uh, introduce yourself. We're, you know, what brings you in in terms of are you, uh, what are you training for? Are you, are you here? You know, again, someone will say, Oh, I'm, I'm not a runner. Right. But 
We have people that are nurses that are in the medical profession that are on concrete floors, Home Depot or Lowe's that are walking miles and miles and miles on concrete tile or tile floors. And they want a good pair of hokas because they're super soft and cushy. <laughs> their, knee, their knees feel better after a, a long shift. Um, the idea is, is get to know your, your customer that walks in the door and our retail team that works really hard, you know, led by Melissa Murray, our manager, my wife, Jennifer, um, hopefully, hopefully they create an intimate relationship with that one-on-one -on -one customer. Cause it's, it's not like you're at the, you know, you know, Black Friday sales at Walmart where you don't get to talk to everybody. It's, um, it's a very intimate relationship and, and we hope that is, is. You know, I know our retail manager, Melissa, if someone walks in the door, she sometimes knows what size they wear because they've shopped there before and they know their name and, oh yeah, I'll get this, you know, how your kid's doing. So, um, develop that, that, that great relationship is yeah. super important. Um, yeah. T talk a little bit more about Fitology. Uh, I mean, because that's a, you know, you, when, when you visit your website, um, particularly the retail space, that's, that's something that you, you, you guys put, uh, as sort yeah. of faced forward. Um, what, what, Outside well, of, you know, establishing a relationship with the customer, getting to know who they are, what, what else is involved in this, in this concept of fitology? Yeah, full fitology. I think it's a made up word I made up with brackets. Fitology. It's, you know, the, like psychology. Um, you know, although the funny joke that I just heard recently, like a relationship, it's, it's psychological. You know, one of us is a psycho. The other one's logical. Just don't ask which one. <laughs> um but uh, fit, fitology, the study of the right fit, right? Um, and and for me is is getting the right product on the right person, and that's really what it is. And it comes in in four in a four step process where number one is consultation, get to know the person for who they are, what they're doing, what their goals are, what their experience levels are, and that might take ten minutes of conversation. We're not talking about how much it costs or what colors you have. We're talking about you. That's number one is, is consultation. Then the next thing is use, using, starting to utilize some technology. You know, in the old days, you had what they call a brandic device. And, and that's the old, you know, metal thing. If you go to Dexter's shoes as a kid, you put your foot in the metal thing and it measures your feet and you're, you know, flipping around to the other shoe or to the other foot. Um, you know, now we have a lot more technology. So we have digital, you know, 3D scanners. You'll put your foot in and it gives you a lot of, in, a lot like anything nowadays has, gives you a lot more information. And information is king. The more you know about your foot, the more you know about your, your foot strike, um, the more we can help guide you in terms of what you need in a product. Cause not all shoes are created equal. They do different things. Uh, so from, from the, the static analysis and the static analysis, this is the 3d digital imaging. Uh, and then we move to, to uh, dynamic analysis. And that's where we move to the treadmill and and see your foot in movement so what's happening when you're walking or running what is your biomechanics and and, and your strength is is your specialty um specifically in fitness and you you know what good form is what bad form is and you you teach your clients and people that are getting stronger to, to do it right um and and your footwear is supposed to be there to help you do it right and and correctly and, and safely and the more you do it safely and correctly, the healthier you are, the more you can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, strength in, in some of those problems are, hey, I need to be stronger, <laughs> right? Um, others of them, I need the right footwear. And, and so that dynamic analysis is, that again, that number three part of fitology is, is looking at what your foot and what your lower extremities do in motion. And then the last part is then getting the right product on your, based on all those, um, that information, we get the right product on your foot and make sure it feels good and take it for a demo run and make sure it works. 
those are those four things are almost impossible to do online. <laughs> you can't you can't do that online. Um, it's it's just about impossible to do at a big box store or an outlet because you know, I like to say the kid with braces is you know doesn't have the specificity that our that our trained staff has. So um, all those things are really hard to do in other environments. That's you know our fitology is is really a personal relationship with our customer to get them healthy and 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 in the right product. Um, well, uh, interestingly enough, each of those four points um, is 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 something that I do with uh, some of my athletes. I mean, I'm uh, you know I'm I'm classically trained as a as an exercise physiologist and and um, and and have a background uh, at least in part in in biomechanics. So I, I certainly understand it. Uh, that said, um, you know I can uh, I can sort of narrow it down you know, to the, uh, to a, a specific shoe construction and a, and a specific drop range heel toe counter. Um, but that's as far as I can go. Like they have to take that information then and go to a running store, a local running store to be able to get in those shoes because, <laughs> you know, you know, my, my best virtual workup is only as good as the athlete's ability to get those shoes on their feet. Sure. Uh, right. And, well, uh, and the other thing about it is it's almost like the car industry, right? When the, when, the, when um, my wife drives a Honda pilot, when the new pilot comes out, it might look different. It might feel different. They have a different body design, different trim work. Shoes are sort of the same way. Um, you know, when the new, the, when the new a six Kayano came out a couple of years ago, it was vastly different than the previous version. I mean, vastly different to the point that the Kayano wearer that wore, you know, seven models in a row then said, no, this doesn't feel the same. They changed the last, they changed the upper. Um, and you know, that, that brand specifically lost a lot of its core customers. They went over to Brooks ghost, which the Brooks ghost is like the number one shoe in the market. It, it's, it fits right. It has the right last to it. And, um, if Brooks ever messes with it, they're going to mess up a good thing. So, but every once in a while, they'll come up with a new, uh, you know, a new type, a new uh, last or, or, or a design change that impacts the fit of it. And so to, to make sure that you're, or they're changing the drop height or things are changing in the industry, going from a minimalist shoe to a maximalist shoe to, you know, Hoka comes out and they say, Hey, it gets all about the cushion. And then new balance starts to jump on that train and Saucony jumps on that train. So th the shoe industry is changing um, year after year and evolving. And, and now Chris, I mean, some of your athletes that you coach, I know they're probably getting into the, you know, the carbon plated shoes. Uh, and, and, you know, you're seeing world records go down on the track because, you know, kids are kids and athletes are running in carbon, different tech, there's new technology in shoes that's being evolved that enhances performance in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, so sometimes the, you know, the exercise physiologist or the podiatrist, well, they know the science, the medicine behind, or, or the, the biomechanics behind it, but sometimes the product is that's not your core competency and the, the actual, Hey, then the New Balance 880 just came out and it has a carbon nylon, you know, nylon plate in it. That, that, that's different. Yeah. It feels different. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any question. In fact, I, I had an athlete that had just that experience with that, with that running shoe model changing and she couldn't figure out for the life of her why the new pair she bought just didn't feel the same. You know, I think, mm -hmm. I think the other important point uh, for the listener to understand is that uh, as we age, our feet 
change as well. So even though, you know, I always ran in such and such a model um, and that always worked well, does not necessarily mean that that model is always going to work well for an individual throughout their running lifespan. Our arches change uh, as, as we get old. Our feet are older. Our feet change, which, which I think um, uh, uh, makes it really important to have a local running store that you can get a much more complete analysis um, of, um, uh, you know, of, the, of the shape and the volume of your foot and how your foot, uh, how your foot reacts in, in, in certain shoes. I, I, think, I think all runners would benefit from the fitology process. Um, and again, uh, you know, don't go on the assumption that what, you know, what always worked for me is always going to work for me in the future. Uh, we change as we get, as we get older. Yeah. And, well, um, and that's like that for the events we talked about. That's where, you know, keeping an eye on what we need to do to be better and, and whether that be apparel, your training, um, your, your needs changes as you evolve for a lot of things and, um, footwear running, exercise, nutrition, you name it, right? Mm. All that stuff is, uh, keep an eye on the prize. Yeah. So, um, let's, 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 let's finish with the, the, the third, uh, aspect uh, of your business, even though, as you sort of set up the timeline, timeline was actually the, uh, the, the, the second part of the business and that's millennium running the, the, the running club. So there's lots of running clubs in New Hampshire, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. what, what makes millennium running club, what makes it special? Oh gosh. Um, much like the people, much like what makes our company special, the people that work for it. I think if you, uh, took a poll of the, you know, 400 people that join our club on an annual basis, um, that, that join their paid members, I think the vast majority of them said, would say that it's the people. Um, they love the club. They love the people. They love the camaraderie. I don't think you could have put a price tag on good human relationships. Um, we're lucky enough that our club and the structure of our club between the Tuesday workouts or the indoor track workouts in the wintertime, the weekend long runs or the hill workouts. We're lucky enough that we, we create a framework for people to bond together over, um, a health, uh, you know, healthy initiative of, of running. So, um, much like probably any club, they'll say, you know, the camaraderie and the people, I don't think we're different than that. I, I think we're just really, really lucky. Um, now, you know, I, I do think one of the interesting things that we have you mentioned being vertically integrated, you know, we have our events, we have our store, we have our club. We, we always try to, you know, connect the pieces to that to make it um, make our allow our our club members, our customers, our friends to have the best intimate relationship they can, whether that be at an event in the store or at a workout. So maybe being vertically integrated makes us a little bit more special. Um, but it's really about the amazing people we have. And um, they bring a smile to my face every time I see them in an event or walk in the store. So we're lucky. Yeah. So it's, it's likely John with, with what you charge uh, for a membership fee um, uh, uh, it, 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 and, and, and everything that you do and provide to, to those members, it's, it, it's likely that club membership is a lost leader for you. Right. So it's, you yeah, know, it's, yeah. it isn't, it isn't, it, it's, it's not necessarily a significant revenue uh, line item for you, right? That's not, I, I suspect that's not why you do it. You, you, you probably charge a membership fee to at least offset some of the costs associated with it. Um, so if it's, if it's, if it's a lost leader, right, if, it, mm -hmm. if it's not a significant line item uh, in your budget, um, then as a company, why, 
wh- why go to the why go to the time and the effort and the expense to to maintain a club? And and I, I asked that question not because I don't think running clubs are are important and valuable. Acidotic racing was built uh, on the uh, on on our club. Um, sure. It is it is the you know, sort of full stop. It is the reason that acidotic racing became what it is from an event management company because of the amazing people that wore our singlets and bike jerseys. Um, so I, I'm very much an advocate and, and, and proponent of, of endurance clubs, but, and I know why it's valuable to me, but why is millennium running the club valuable to you? If it's not necessarily, you know, a top line yeah. revenue item for you. Yeah. It's, that's another good one. You're full of good questions. That's why you're good at podcasts. Um, so let, let me tell you this. Um, I think I'm going to use an, an example, not of our club and use uh, as, as whether other, other clubs, other businesses, other products. Um, and, and I think this came around influencers, you know, when Instagram and, and social influencers became a thing. Um, the idea that, that we pay, um, I mean, maybe this goes back all the way to Michael Jordan, right? And, and, and Larry Bird, you know, they're influencers, they're paid athletes, and they, they get sponsored by a brand, Nike and Air Jordan, right? Now, Nike, you know, Michael Jordan is now, you know, synonymous with Nike. But, um, you know, in reality, the brands are paying uh, the athletes or providing the athletes with something for them to then uh, use them to, to perpetuate their brand or advertise their brand. Well, I look at our relationship with our club like ambassadors to our brand. Um, now I've seen event companies out there, they have brand ambassadors or I have, you know, I use, you know, noon for example, as a, as a nutrition company, there's noon ambassadors. Some have robust ambassadorship programs with their products, products or events. And I see those, those people, um, having a requirement to, to post on social media X amount of times per week or per month um, and do all these things that are, that are built into a contractual agreement as an ambassador. And, um, and I think it's almost superficial, to be honest with you. Um, whereas a club that people pay to belong to and they get a tremendous value from, they get uh, camaraderie from, they get coaching from, they get um, incentive, you know, that whether it be discounts at the store or, or they get experiences, they, they get experiences and they get a deliverable from that. Um, they are the first ones to be the biggest cheerleaders for our brand. They share it on social media. They become our ambassadors in a way that's more authentic and we're not paying them to do it. They're doing it because they believe that this is a product that they want to share their experience with. And, and I think that, I don't think you can put a price tag, you know, you said lost leader. Um, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I love our club members for, for part of the reason is that they, they're the first ones. They're our early adopters. They're the ones that will share our, our new event or come do this with me or, you know, have a good time or recruit other people to be part of the club. And, and I think it grows the community. So I think, the club to me is, is, is the most authentic part of our business. One of, well, one of the most authentic parts of our business. But um, when people wear a uniform at an event, just like they do the acidotic ones, or they, they go and run the Chicago marathon and they post their picture of the Chicago marathon running in the millennium running singlet is, is, is pretty amazing to me. Um, 
because they're not just posting it for themselves or the people in their club. They're posting it for their friends and family to see and other people's friends and family to see. Social media is a, you know, uh, crazy when it comes to that, how, how, how viral stuff can get. But, um, you know, you can't put a price tag on that sort of advertising for, as a company. Um, you know, we were lucky enough to, we've had some very, very fast athletes run in our, as part of Millennium Running Club. Um, we had a couple athletes compete in the Olympic trials in the marathon, representing Millennium Running. Uh, we've had athletes be the first finishers from New Hampshire in the Boston Marathon representing Millennium Running. And, you know, when Channel 9, ABC, WMUR TV advertises the first New Hampshire, or I'm sorry, interviews the first New Hampshire finisher, male and female, and they're, they have a big black Millennium Running jersey on. Um, to me, that's like, that's the best advertising you could ever get. It's on, it's on national tele or it's on regional, you know, national television syndicate um, on the news. That's pretty good. So, but the reality is, as we, as we talked about before, um, you have folks representing your brand. In other words, you have club members or ambassadors that, that, that represent the entirety of the participation field from mm -hmm. the elite athletes that have opportunities to stand on top of podiums and, 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 and get on TV. Uh, and you have folks that are finishing in the, in the back of the pack. It truly is. It's not an elite club. I think that's important for people to understand. There are some elite clubs in the region that have sort of performance requirements for membership. Um, Millennium Running Club is not that case. It really is an every person's running club, which I think is incredibly important. And John, it says it says a lot, I think, about a business that people would pay to advertise your business for you. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that, that that's that to me, that means you're doing something you're doing something really, really well. In fact, it probably means you're doing some things, plural, really, yeah. really well. Um, John, I, I want to give you the opportunity uh, as we wrap up. I, I, want, I, want you to, I want you to have the opportunity to talk about something that I think is, uh, uh, is, is, is equally important to you uh, as, uh, as, as your business is, and that's, and that's your charitable giving. Uh, and that, that really rings true and comes forward. I think when, uh, when you follow millennium running on, on social media is, uh, is your philanthropy, philanthropy and your, and your charitable giving, um, talk a little bit about that, John, what, um, what, what types of things are you folks doing at millennium running from a charitable giving standpoint? And then also where did that ethos originate from where where did you get this, 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 this feel and this desire and passion to give back? You know, uh, thanks for saying that. It's, it's funny that, you know, as we start to wrap up here, that that's the last thing we talk about. Cause I often allude to that order of, you know, importance in, in, in even our, even the, the three pillars in which I kind of, uh, model our company after, um, you know, producing great products and great events, advocating fitness and wellness to as many people as we can and giving back because you can't give back unless you do those other things really well. Cause you just, you, you know, sometimes you can't afford to, you can't, you know, if you don't have a good event with a lot of people, there's not a lot of revenue to go around. Uh, um, so it's, it's interesting how, how you come at it to the last one, but I think the same way, you know, when people go and run or want to sign up for our Cinco de Mayo 5k, 
they say Cinco de Mayo. Ooh, that sounds fun. Let me get a girlfriend to run with me. You know, you get a couple of ladies. We'll all run together. Oh, and you get a Corona and a margarita when you're done. This sounds great. There's a band afterwards. This sounds great. They're not signing up for that. Or oh, and I get a quarter zip with thumb holes. That's the other thing. Right? I get cool swag. Um, they're not signing up for it because they see that the you know. Um, Elliot Lindsay Skinner for the uh, for cancer care at the Elliot is the official charity partner of it. That's not why they're showing up. They're showing up because it's fun and they want to have a shared human experience with someone else. And um, and at the end of it, they realize, oh yeah, that, that that was for a good cause. We donated some money to to, to a great organization, and it, it gives them a little bit of self worth on on that. Um, and it's interesting how you came out about it as the last one because if you were the say the American Cancer Society produce an event, you might lead with that, right? Um, we're a business, we're, we're a for-profit business, uh, but by our DNA, we are, we are super charitable. And, and to the point where um, at, at, at right now, we're $1.36 million in charitable giving. So we've provided that to local organizations from a Cub Scout group to a cancer center and a hospital um, to veterans, um, to, uh, you know, heart Institute, all sorts of different things. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Some of our organizations that have been with us are also part of the DNA of the event. We ask them to have a little bit of skin in the game, come out and volunteer, be part of it. And, and then, you know, we'll give you guys a donation. Um, you know, we have a Cub Scout group, um, pack 127. They've been with us from day one. They raised over $40,000 as a Cub Scout group. Like, like that's a lot of money for Cub Scouts. That's a lot of, that's a lot of popcorn. Um, you know, and then there's other ones where, you know, we have larger checks, you know, we've raised over a hundred thousand dollars for veterans count, um, a veterans organization here in the state of New Hampshire. Like those are real dollars that really matter to people, but you know, whether that be, you know, getting new uniforms for, for a, a program that doesn't have the funding anymore to, you know, cancer centers. I mean, it, this is really important stuff. And, and, um, we probably don't lead with it enough. Um, you know, we, we try to weave it in, uh, and, and more because I think we want to make our events be about the participants and about their experience. Um, so we try to weave it in as much as we can, but, um, man, it's something that I'm super proud of. My wife is super, I think everybody on our team, when we say, you know, we went over the, you know, the $1 million mark, you know, last year and then $1.3 million this year, you know, we're going to be at $2 million soon. And, and to say as a small business, small family business, you know, we've, we've raised and distributed over $1.3 million. Um, there's not a lot of people can say that about the business that they own or work for. So, you know, we're super, we're super happy about that and, and want to keep on, you know, if we can get to 1 million we get to 2 million, if we get to 2 million, we get to 5 million. So those are sort of the goals we put out there. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic doing good by doing well, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it's also, John, likely um, likely a reason that your employees have such loyalty to the business um, be because of that, you know, be because, um, you know, it's it's more than just the, the budget at the end of the day. Um, so um, let let me ask you, let me ask you this. Um, how do people find out more about Millennium Running? So I, you sure. Know, you know, I, in this. Where, you know. Where, where do people go to learn more about, about Millennium Running? We'll go to like uh, Instaface or Snapchat. 
<laughs> go to all, all your social, all, all go to all the things, do a search of millennium running. Um, but obviously our website, millenniumrunning.com is our digital for, you know, face of our company that has all the website information you can ever get about us. And again, we're authentic. You know, you know, you see who works here, you see what they do. There's a bio of, of everybody. Some of them probably need to be updated, but, um, we we're we are who we are and you can find us online at millenniumrunning.com you know if i were to go back in time the millennium story is interesting in terms of its authenticity of how the name came about but gosh people can't spell it there's two ends in millennium and and that's the hardest thing. try to spell millennium out the half there's, our google searches are wrong there's um, a lot of double letters in there yes yes you're yeah, right right it, yeah if if you if you maybe could have gone back and and uh it maybe made it something simple like rabbit run, uh, yeah. right? Or just something that didn't have so many, so many darn L's and N's. Yeah, right. Well, you can, uh, obviously you can find us at millenniumrunning.com and get on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, all that fun stuff. That being said, um, my license plate is run more. And, and if I had to go back in time, I would have said runmore.com and that would have been it. Everybody can spell that one. Um, but you know, eat half, walk double, and we can just add run more to that. That's what we should do. <laughs> Um, so, um, when, when this show is, 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 is being released is in early February. Um, so now here we sit in early February. What's the, what's the next event on your, on your event calendar here as we sit in early February? You know, football season is still, we alluded to the, the Bills game, that tragic incident, but, um, you know, football seasons in the, we're in the midst of this We're the playoff hunt is on the Pats still have a chance, you know, my Michigan guy, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers just clinched. So like football season is here. Um, I'm a big football guy. I love football. It's fun to watch. I'm glad my kids don't play it anymore. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, our, our super Sunday four miler, we have a football themed, one of the many themed events we have that make it be fun. We have a football themed super Sunday four miler on, um, it would be the 12th Super Super Bowl Sunday, uh, the 12th of February. That'll be here in actually right across the street from our he world headquarters here in Bedford, New Hampshire at a, at a restaurant we partnered with to have an outdoor snowy beer garden. Nothing like slushy Sam's Sam Adams when it's 10 degrees and go for a good run. It's a good way to celebrate, you know, what is like the equivalent of the turkey trots. You know, you, you, you eat, you, you run the morning so you can have a good meal. You go for a run in the morning so you can enjoy, you know, a Super Bowl tailgate with your friends and family. Well, tr truth is here in the United States, Super Bowl Sunday is a holiday now, right? <laughs> um, John, let's let's finish with this. Let's finish with uh, a fun segment I like to call three random questions. All right. Oh, so I've got, oh this I've got, is fun. I like this. Yeah, I've okay. got three random questions for you, John Warner. But the first question actually I have is not part of the random questions is um, – uh, will you verify for the listener that you have not received these three questions in advance? I have not. Oh yes. I have not received. These are new to me and I'm, I'm, I'm taken off guard. Cause like now I got to think quick on my feet. <laughs> That's part of what makes this fun for me Let's go. Uh, is, is seeing how nimble people are uh, intellectually. John, my first random question for oh, you. Oh boy, is, that, that, that just sealed the deal right there. <laughs> nimble intellectually. <laughs> you, you've done really well so I've far. Uh, in totally going to fail interview. now. Um, yep. So don't screw it up now, John. Um, so John, you're, you're hosting a group run. Yeah. Um, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you invite one VIP. Now that VIP may be someone from the past or, or someone from the present. Maybe this VIP is someone you know or someone that you've never met, but that you know of. So, John, 
who's the one VIP you're inviting to your local group run? My local group one, it could be, uh, you know, I'm going to go back with uh, my childhood best friend, Matt Downen, um, who uh, it was a guy that, you know, helped start the Millennium Mile many, many years ago. And his wife, and he lived in Minneapolis and would have him come back in and go for a good run together and relive the good, the good old days. I assume he doesn't live locally. He lives in Minneapolis. So right, so you uh, don't get it. You don't get a chance to run. Not, no, no, not, only on a rare, rare occasion. So maybe once Very every cool. couple of years. So Very cool. Uh, random question number two for, for John Mortimer is, uh, did you have a sports hero or heroes as a kid? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I 100% did. Um, I mean, I was a, you know, a little white kid from New Hampshire, um, but I desperately wanted to be Michael Jordan. He was six foot six. Um, you know, I was a little point guard playing basketball. I had a knee brace, even though I didn't have a knee problem. Um, used to try to play basketball with my tongue out and, and, uh, until you got one of the chops and you realize you're not that good at basketball. Um, but you know, Michael Jordan was my childhood, uh, sports hero that, uh, gosh, what a great, you know, transcendent player. So did you have any, did you have any running specific, uh, sports hero? Obviously you went on to have a very illustrious career as a runner. Did you, did, did, did you ever have any, any, any heroes or idols yeah. or runners that you looked up to? You know, good question. I, not really, because I got into running fairly late in life and, and running isn't, you know, you're not seeing running typically on TV every Saturday or Sunday, like you do other sports, baseball, football, basketball, hockey. Um, so I didn't, I wasn't really exposed to running until I started becoming good at it uh, in high school and beyond. So, you know, I had some, um, you know, the, the athletes, the professional athletes of, of my time, of my high school years, the Todd Williams or Bob Kennedy's um, guys like that, that I had an opportunity to, to uh, admire from their accomplishments as an Olympian ultimately became even some of my teammates. And I, I was on some us teams with some of those guys and ran with them, trained with them. So a lot of those heroes that I had as, as a younger athlete, um, had an opportunity to really become friends with them. And, and, um, I mean, even someone like Meb Kaflesky, right. Boston marathon winner. He's a good friend of mine and, uh, guys like that, that are running heroes or, uh, they're a phone call away from me. Yeah. So I feel lucky to feel lucky to have had those relationships, uh, through the sport. Yeah. I mean, right. Not, not, not everybody can say that they actually had a chance to not only meet, but, uh, become friends with, uh, with their sport or, um, uh, or, or other idols. Uh, last question for you, John, uh, is this, and uh, it's a fairly broad question, um, but uh, but I'll ask it anyways. I think you have a lot to offer here. Um, what was the best advice you were ever given? And I and I <laughs> I intentionally left that broad. I I didn't say business related advice or running related yeah. advice because um uh i i suspect that uh that that you probably have had a lot of important people uh in your life give you a lot of really valuable uh, advice and guidance so let's let's keep it broad what, what comes uh when you think of that question the, what, what's, what's the best advice you were ever given I have, I have a couple pieces i don't know if they're advice or more they're idioms or things to live by that i think Kind of goes with advice. It's like how, how do you live your life, right? Um, I think they're sort of broad too. But um, I'll go to an example of getting recruited by the University of Michigan and my college coach, that ultimately became my college coach, uh, Coach Warhurst, um, a legendary coach, coached many, many Olympians. Um, and 
he did a home visit with me, came to my house, met my parents. And my dad said, what are you looking for in my, what are you looking for most of my son? And most coaches have given that same question that he gave, you know, his leg speed, his work ethic, yeah, all, all different attributes around the sport. Um, and coach said, I want a good citizen. And I took that as, I took that as advice. Um, and the other idiom I use all the time is there's no right way to do the wrong thing. Right. So between those two things, that's my advice that, that, that I'm taking from other people, uh, that I would probably give back is there's no right way to do the wrong thing. You always have to do the right thing. And, um, and, and like coach said, be a good citizen. And if you're a good citizen, that means you're doing a lot of other things, right? Um, so those two things, uh, I think, you know, I'm meshing those two things together to be really good advice. So how about that? Uh, I, I think that's a, I think that's a great lesson and an excellent way to wrap up. John, thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, well, it's an honor to, to spend time with you and, and, you know, I hope that, uh, you know, our conversations were, were something people enjoyed listening to after, after one hour and 49 minutes of fun. Um, I'll do it again anytime you want. <laughs> uh, I'd love to have you back on John. Thanks again. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Appreciate it. John really is the best in our business. His efforts here in New Hampshire during the pandemic created policy that allowed running races to be held months, and in some cases a year or more, before other states resumed any operation of that outdoor recreation sector. And his charitable giving is an inspiration to all of us to do more and to give more. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walk Double Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, Please circle back to the homepage and click the follow or subscribe button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half Walk Double. So make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.